Good evening. It has been a long time since I've been with in this capacity for the last seven months since we said I was at Squatchy Valley helping them out till they got their new preacher. But I realized tonight when the Jim called me and then when we've been announcing this, I feel like the last man standing. There's nobody else left. If I wouldn't hear, you would have had nobody tonight. <laughs> so we'd be thankful for that. <laughs> One of the things that becomes, as it were, a daily thing in some sense of the word, whether we read it on the news or the newspaper, whether it happens locally or if it happens somewhere else in the country. We're bombarded every day by the fact crimes being committed. And the result of that crime being committed, we either find that individual is finally caught or imprisoned for what they have done, or in too many cases we find them killing themselves after they have committed the crime or the murdering spree to keep from having to face trial and go to jail. And we all know at times, as we've seen recently, some of these crimes become so hideous that they do make, as it were, the world news. The world newspapers and the cable networks carry it and talk about it for days on end. Talk is made about how to reform things and how to make changes. Always comes to the forefront when these things happen. But did we ever stop to think for a moment one thing? And that thing is simply this. You wonder for a moment what that individual's parents or their children are going through when that family member has committed that crime. Now for a moment, picture yourself living in a community, whether it's a large city or a small community. And imagine for a moment you're a parent of a child who has, who we've seen recently, has gunned down his fellow classmates and teachers in a school. Imagine for a moment as that makes the news across the country. Imagine for a moment the embarrassment that you as the parents are going to have to face simply because you are that child's parents. And when you think about it for a moment, it's not only that, it's going to continue. You can continue to fact and you can imagine for a moment what the neighbors around you are going to do. They're going to remind others, oh, we live just down the street, or they live across from, oh, we are their next door neighbors. You imagine as people drive through wherever you live, if they're going to stop and point and stare. That's, the, that's where the house that kid killed everybody. That's where he lives. News media parked out in front of your house for days on end so they could question you and want to know, what did you do wrong or what did you not see when all of this happened? They just want to know. They want to bear in on it. Each time you go to a store, you're pointed out by everyone else in that store. What happens to most people in a small community? Most end up having to sell their homes, move away from their jobs and go somewhere else altogether, another part of the country and start all over again, hoping those individuals really don't know that they're the parents of that child who committed that crime way over in another area. And the reason why is they use the word because they cannot stand the stigma. Stigma, there's a word we haven't heard in a long time. It simply means and is referring to a mark, a tattoo or a scar, like that left, like a branding iron. 
It is something that you're always going to have to live with. And we realize as well that there are times when people do things, crimes are committed by these individuals that permanently mark or brand their family with disgrace, dishonor, and shame for a many, many years. Yet, when you think about it for a moment, it happens, yet most will turn and say, well, that don't seem fair. That don't seem right that they have to be branded because of what one did. So everyone begins to ask, why do children? Or why do parents have to suffer because someone in that family has done a very hideous crime? For the answer to that, and a lot of other questions that come up, look at the 18th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. This prophet that we have known, we know about, the fiery prophet like Elijah in a lot of respects, was a man, was a prophet of God who lived about the same time of Daniel while they were in Babylonian captivity. His nation, along with himself and Daniel and others, had been taken captive. They'd been placed in exile and slavery by the Babylonians because of their rebellion and their wicked idolatry against the God of heaven. Here when you look at it, moment, you're looking at Ezekiel and Daniel and other young men like them who suffered greatly because of the sins of their ancestors. They were hauled away, essentially by simply saying, if you're looking from a physical eye, having done nothing. It was their forefathers who for years after the northern tribe had been carried away, hadn't learned the lesson and we're suffering because of what they have done. It's not fair, is it? It's not fair. So Ezekiel's mission in his book as a preacher and a prophet was to bring some hope. See, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, we might say, to his own generation of people as they suffered in that long darkness of their captivity. But isn't that always the typical way things are? That when people suffer as the consequences of someone else's sin, the first person they blame is God. It's not right. It's not fair. You should not have allowed this to happen to us. You say to me that you love me. You've told the world that you love me by sending your son and you're letting this happen to me? God, you are not fair. And shake his fist at him. Because they realize in their anger they got to lash out at somebody. God's not around and they think he's not going to do anything so they can shake their fist at him thinking he can't talk back to them. And so they say it's unfair. Notice... In that 18th chapter in verse 25, Ezekiel says this, Yet you say, the people of Judah, the captives, you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O Israel, is, not my, way, is, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When we look at that for a moment, God's taking them by the shoulder, so to speak, like he would do. Someone to kind of say, wake up to the reality of this thing. 
We need to be reminded it is God that's way, God's ways are always equal. It is man's ways that are not fair and judicial. Man is not, not always fair as he judges other people. And we know that very well if we see every day in our life. But God always is fair when he judges us. In other words, if we could say if Ezekiel were living today in our society, in our world, he would tell us, yes, there are going to be times when people are, don't play fair. There are going to be people who show a lack of equality in their dealings with one another. With one another. But our God is an equal opportunity employer. And I'm playing on words, drop the E and make it an I. God is an equal opportunity employer. God through his spokesman like Ezekiel in that day and time and even now as we read over those words again implores us, pleads with us, begs with us to, for man to do what is right. But you realize for a moment man hadn't changed though. Man's still the same. In that, in that sense, man, it like, even as it was then, it is still the same way now. A lot of people are not listening to God at all. But we also have to tell us, remind ourselves that God is an equal opportunity employer because He gives each of us the opportunity to do right. To do right. So we have no right to reproach and accuse God of being unfair. We can say that and we know that. But we realize till the world ends, anything that happens, people are going to still blame Him, call Him unfair, shake their fist at Him, to blame Him for what happened to them so they can take the responsibility off themselves. So in this marvelous chapter, the prophet makes three important points that we need to remember. Number one, we have a personal responsibility to God. Number two, we have a personal relationship with God. And number three, we have a personal recompense of reward with God. Look at the first. The first one is answered in the first three verses of that marvelous chapter when Ezekiel says the word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. It's a common proverb. Kind of like some of the we use today, we call them chimney corner scripture or whatever. But this is one that's been used, had been used for a long time in Israel. And what does it mean? Simple. The father's sin and the children reap the consequences of those sins. Therefore, God is unfair. Therefore, God's unfair. Now, if you think about it for a moment from the physical standpoint, you can imagine that someone who has been born in captivity, and from the day they're born, and as they grow up, they realize, and their parents remind them, and they see it every day, they're living in captivity to another nation. They have no choice. If they tell them to do something, they, it's either that or die. 
or imprisonment. So you can imagine for a moment when they look around that they're in captivity and they've been found, they found out as they grow older and remind themselves it's because of their ancestors' sins. It's how it calls them to be in this situation. From a musical standpoint, you say, yeah, they have a right to be angry. They got a right to be mad. If I was there, I'd be the same way. Because when you think about it for a moment from a physical standpoint, of view, it is. It's just totally unfair. But are we any different today? Unfortunately, we, can, we cannot say no, that we didn't learn our lesson from Israel or in, in the captivity they had. We, know we, we learned it. We never happened that. No, no. Let's stop and think about it for a moment. We haven't changed. Our actions today will reap the consequences that our future generations will have to deal with. Some being bad, some being good. We can be political for a moment, but it is, because it is true. We're coming upon time, we've heard enough about our national debt to drive us all insane. But yet, did you realize that it is a burden that we placed on our children for years to come to pay off that debt? Don't seem fair, does it? But guess what? That's life. That's life. When you think about it for a moment, again, another thing we can look at is our past generation, including our own's loose behavior, and spread many of what we call the sexually transmitted diseases. The worst one we all know is AIDS. And this, this is going to affect generations to come after ours. It's not fair, is it? But guess what? That's life. It's life. The worst thing of all is the spiritual training, or let me add, let me say, the kind of spiritual training or the lack thereof that many parents are exposing their children to, I will say will have the eternal consequences for many generations to come after ours. It's not fair, but it is the reality. But you see, while the physical and the consequences that we face every day of our actions that affect generations or ancestors' actions that affect ours, one thing we need to remind ourselves again, God does not judge the soul unfairly. Keep that in mind because we need to remind ourselves that daily. God does not judge the soul unfairly. Neighbors will judge and accuse parents of uh, wicked children or children of wicked parents will become stigmatized and considered guilty by association. And they carry the stigma. But also we say we apply that same standard judgment when we, uh, as used when we look at parents or our children who are good. We don't see anything unfair when a hero's children is given special privileges or special rights, or they're able to go on a trip, or someone pays for them to, to go somewhere because their parent or their child was a hero. They saved a life. They did so-and-so. Oh, that's wonderful. And we don't mind them having those special privileges because we have judged thusly. If the child or the parent is good because they've done this good deed and became a hero, guess what? The parents or the children must be good too. That's our judgment. That's the way we look at things. We judge, do we not? 
rightly or wrongly, based on associations. Associations. Look at Ezekiel 18. Begin reading with verse 14 through verse 17, and finally then verse 20. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now suppose this man's father's a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. Does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with the garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules, walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall live. Verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer the iniquity, for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. That chapter is marvelous. And the fact is, you can't write that any plainer than what he just said. You cannot make it any plainer. You could make it any simpler what he's getting at. What is he saying? The son is responsible for his own actions. The son is responsible for his own actions. The fathers, yes, may have sold their souls. They may have committed hideous crimes. They may have caused you to be in captivity. Or they may have caused your family to be disgraced. but we don't have to follow in their steps, do we? That's the point. In other words, every generation that comes along we call the new one is responsible for itself. So Ezekiel simply reminds us here that we cannot excuse ourselves on the basis that we are our sons, of, and there's our father's sons and daughters. Prime example because we all know who he is. Everybody knows Hank Williams, Jr. His father was an extraordinary, legendary country music artist who was known for his problem with alcohol. Hank, Jr. wrote a song in which he says people ask him, Hank, why do you drink? And why do you roast smoke, etc.? His answer was, I was just carrying on a family tradition. He was simply just saying this, my father was a drunk, therefore I'll become a drunk. So when it happened, no one is surprised. <laughs> no one seems shocked. Because, well, the father was, why, why I'm surprised, you know, I'm not surprised Hank Jr., but if he had bucked it and kept himself sober and clean, people would have questioned him. Oh, why are you, you know, your father is, why don't you follow your... Responsible for ourselves. The old proverb, the old proverbs that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree or the one that Ezekiel says the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge just doesn't excuse us anymore. Put an old country saying from the south, that, old, that dog won't hunt. It just won't work. You cannot use that 
as a means of simply saying, well, my father was this way, therefore I have to be the same way. We can rise above that heritage, can we not? And we have seen through the years many individuals who have done that very thing. We need to be reminded again and again and again. We are responsible for our own actions. And we ought to be thankful that we are. So he said, no, I don't want that. Do you want to be responsible for the sins of your fathers? So be glad it's only yours that you're responsible for. So remember, we have a personal responsibility with God. The second thing we mentioned a moment ago that Ezekiel talks about is we have a personal relationship with God to consider. Verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul whose sins shall die. We'll sum that up in a short statement. And this is sobering. What is Ezekiel saying? All souls belong to God. That's a sobering statement to think about. All souls belong to God. If you hadn't thought about that for a moment, you need to right now. All souls belong to Him. The souls of the children don't belong to the parents. They belong to God. Who created our souls in the first place? Who puts in with every one of us that eternal side? It is the God of heaven. Therefore, that eternal side belongs to Him. Belongs to Him. When we die, our souls, if we say heaven bound or hell bound, makes no difference. It goes back to God. Did not the wise man make that very plain to us as he finished up that marvelous book of Ecclesiastes? The dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. They all belong to us. So how God judges our souls on that day depends upon our relationship to Him. Our relationship. Because we need to be reminded again, as Ezekiel makes so plain, there is no transference of innocence to the guilty. The guilty can't say, well, I don't have to worry about my guilt. My innocent child wiped that out. Mm -mm, don't work. Flip it over. There's no transference of the, of the, as we say, the guilt to the innocence. It doesn't work either way. We are guilty for what we do, not what others done around us. Yes, we may inherit our father's eye, hair color and eyes. We may inherit his talents and abilities that he has. We may do so. And we're going to inherit, and we're going to inherit his, our father's name and social standing, whether it's good or bad. We're going to inherit those things. But while we have that relationship, that physical relationship with our ancestors and children, more importantly, we need to be reminded again, we have a spiritual relationship with our God. We may have entered this world reaping the consequences of what others have done. We may inherit their stigma and their guilt by association. 
But we enter this world with a soul that belongs to God. A soul that is pure, a soul that is holy, and a soul that is without stain. We're not born in this world guilty of sin when we whack and become a newborn with a name. We are clean, pure, and innocent. We need to be reminded of that. Ezekiel makes that very plain. We need again to remind ourselves in this one about our personal relationship with God, that God loves us. We know that. But we still need to be reminded from time to time, God does love me. God cares for me. But God doesn't judge us on the basis of our earthly relationships. He doesn't look at our genetics, our race, our gender, our physical abilities. He looks on the inside. Our hearts. What are we thinking? What are we doing? Apostle Paul knew that very well. He knew that a lot of people in his own countrymen, the Jews, knew that their heritage and ancestry was their claim to fame. They could trace it all the way back to Abraham and they were proud of that fact. But in the second chapter of Romans, in the midst of his letting the Gentiles, the Jews, know how unfaithful they were to God, he simply stops in verse 11 of chapter 2 and says, God is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons. That is fair. That is equal. And you ought to thank your God every day that it is. When we have our relationship with Him. You have a personal responsibility. You have a personal relationship. But also you have that personal recompense of reward to consider. Chapter 18 and verse 4, the last half says, The soul that sins shall die. I can't make that any plainer nor anyone else in this building. Can't make it any plainer than that. The soul that sins, it shall die. The idea that we hear at times from individuals who are trying to downplay about a judgment, downplay about a God, or downplay that He'll send people to hell, always try to tell, get the idea across, there is going to be no payday when it comes to our sins in the forever because God's so good and gracious, He's not going to do anything to anybody. We're all going to go to the great place in the sky and sit on His porch with Him. That phrase just killed that. That phrase simply killed that. Yes, we, have to, we do have to worry about what the, how we lived our lives on this earth. We don't have to worry about paying for the sins of our fathers on that judgment day, but we have to worry about our own. What have we done while we lived on the face of this earth? Notice in verse 30 of that 18th chapter, the prophet goes on to say, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Here is the bottom line. Here is the purpose for that lesson Ezekiel wanted to get across in that 18th chapter. Yes, we will suffer the consequences physically of what others have done. It may not seem fair, but we realize that that is life. And we don't need to spend our time fretting over those physical inequalities. But we do need to consider our own souls. Keep in mind, 
it's responsibility, it's relationship with God, and that sows recompense of reward. Remember, God's not going to judge you on the base of others, good or bad. Not going to do it. He will judge you for what you have or have not done. The bottom line that God told to Israel is still true. While we realize and while we have the time, we need to repent in turn from all of our transgressions so the iniquity shall not be our ruin at the end of all time. If we are ruined and we hear depart from me at the day of judgment, it will not be the sins of our fathers or our children. We will hear that because of our own sins. That is fair. That is just. That is equality. That is the God of heaven. That much we know for sure. So if our soul is lost, and become separated from God because of our own sins, not the sins of others. We cannot stand before God and claim that it is someone else's fault. <laughs> when you think about that, when you think of Adam, what do you tell God when he confronted him? <laughs> the woman, it was her fault, it wasn't mine. God didn't buy it, did he? He didn't buy it then, he don't buy it now. We can't blame others. We can't blame our ancestors. Can't blame anyone else, our parents, or whoever we may want to try it on, throw it on to. Cannot happen. But the thing we are responsible for is that's our own soul. So ask yourself right now, what about your soul today? Is it lost? Only you know the answer to that question. Only you know your soul's destiny at this moment. Does it need to be redeemed? Does it need to be restored? Does it need to be reconciled or reunited with God? It can be right now. The world hadn't come to an end. God has been merciful enough to let it stand to this good moment in time. And we ought to be hopeful and thankful that he lets us stand through this invitation and not bring it all to an end. The God who loved us made this all possible through the sacrifice of his son. Remember, your soul's going to return to God at the end. But what condition will it be in? Will it be in the condition to hear, well done? Or will it be in the condition, depart from me? See, if you're not a child of God, the opportunity is yours. Everything is ready. The passage is ready. Everything else is ready for you to become a child of God. Become repenting of the way you've been living your life. And the Lord, I want to give all of that up. Confess him before all, and to be buried with him in baptism, raised to walk that new life Paul so ably describes to us in Romans 6. If you're a child of God whose soul was walking with him, but you realize now it no longer is, here's your opportunity to redeem yourself. Here's your opportunity to change your life. Here's an opportunity to ask God's forgiveness. And once again, you can be walking on the right way that leads to heaven. Think on this while together we stand and while we sing.